Hello. Hi there. And welcome to another episode of Where's My Freaking Dressing Room, a podcast discussing the world of opera and what things are really like backstage. My name's Helen. And I'm Alex. And today we're talking about how being a singer is harder than it looks. Breakdown of the week. For this week's breakdown, we've made the, uh, you know executive decision to uh, group together our breakdowns and just have one big fat breakdown um, because the, the level of despair feels so great. Um, we wanted to talk a little bit about the Arts Council funding cuts, which were announced, I think, just over a week ago. Um, so yeah, essentially, uh, Arts Council England is a major funding body in our country that donates uh, large sums of money to a huge variety of companies in our country. That is Arts uh, in all its forms, dance, drama, theatre, music, opera, etc. And um, uh, most often, well, actually, in, in this particular uh, case, we're talking about the national portfolio organisations in terms of the funding. So that's these big kind of three-year funding packages that companies get in order to put in place large, large creative plans that they feel are going to have, um, you know, big, big benefits for kind of culture in our country. So... Fifty million pounds of that uh, was cut uh, this wow. this time round, and um, companies I think that we often consider to be quite a shoe in for funding uh, had a lot of their funding cut. Places like uh, the Barbican, I was quite surprised to see had its funding cut. National Theatre, yeah, the National Theatre. Um, I think the one that kind of uh, strikes closest to home for us um, is the English National Opera, which has had essentially all of its Arts Council subsidy cut. And I think the kind of second big issue with it is alongside having all of its funding cut, um, there's been advice given or ideas suggested that English National Opera just kind of ships up from London and ships out and moves to Manchester. Um and I think we're feeling a little bit uh, breakdowny about it, if you will, yeah. um, because I think from what we can see and understand, and certainly from Eno's reaction to this news, there doesn't seem to have been a lot of preparation uh, no. for them as an opera company. It sounds like when the announcement was made, that was almost the first Eno had heard about it, and I think that for me is my biggest gripe. You know, I agree in leveling up i think we're going to talk about this a bit more mm -hmm, i, I think mm -hmm, we agree mm -hmm. in spreading culture across the country but surely if we're going to do that we need to do that in long-term partnership with the companies we're expecting to do the work for us you can't just be like okay it's been really great here in london guys um if you could just pop on up to uh bye to, to cumbria now and uh, we'll see you we'll see you in 2029 all the best yeah, it's crazy. I agree. Why? Because the CEO said, like, the staff, they'd had a big staff meeting or something. He was like, don't worry. Yeah, it's all going to be fine, blah, blah, blah. And, yeah. and yeah, he hadn't known at all that yeah. this move was going to happen. I don't know. Yeah, again, the levelling up thing, it's great in a way, isn't it, that there's now going to be local opera in Manchester. I think yep. that's brilliant, but you know how how can we actually do that in a more sane sensible way i just don't understand anything um i don't know it sort of made made me think or made us all think i suppose mm. like well how is opera going to adapt to this mm. i mean uh, all, all of the arts but we're just focusing on opera here um yeah what can they do without all the funding like how, totally. how are you know going to survive i don't really know 
I think also because it's like ENO's had a huge, huge portion of its funding cut. I think that's why it's making all the headlines. But equally, mm. the Royal Opera House has had funding cut as well. So it's like, you know, nobody is safe. Um, but really, nobody is safe. And um, I know that Tete Tete was one of the few opera companies that actually did become a portfolio organisation or at least managed to retain its funding from what I understand. And mm, I suppose mm-hmm. it made me think, and something we were talking about is like, it's adaptability, really, that's going to be yes. king now and flexibility. And I think the idea of having kind of smaller operas or smaller scale productions that can either grow, you know, depending on being mm-hmm. in a bigger venue or contract because it's on the road and it's moving elsewhere is kind of where we're going to have to start looking i think the idea of having these big huge productions that are kind of sold to house you know a house here a house over there a house over there perhaps isn't the way actually our opera is going to be made anymore because firstly it's it's too expensive secondly there's not enough funding to get it it's you not know. popular enough as well exactly you you were kind of saying you know you had a good little tidbit fact there about uh, yes Donji. yes when opera was originally brought to the uk for its premiere so don giovanni for example it was massively it was well it was translated into English it was rewritten I think Zelina was made the main character fun we love her um (laughs) but you know it was adapted for the British public and it was sort of it even had a different name but it was kind of irrecognizable from the Don G that we know today and it's like okay well maybe we need to think about that a little bit more you know uh I'm all for like a good solid English translation I'm all for that um and also you know, let's let's cut it. Let's <laughs> cut. I don't <laughs> make it see more it. enjoyable for everyone. <laughs> yeah, you know, and you know, if that's going to actually bring in more audience and yeah. therefore funding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a funny chicken and egg situation, isn't it? So I think from us both, our breakdown this week is this feeling that the arts continues to be undervalued in our country, mm-hmm. and it continues to be considered this uh, extra. You know, uh, it's it's when thing when times are tough, when things are tight, it's one of the first things to go. And obviously, from a logical perspective, I do understand that. But it can be really hard when you're working in this field, and people often talk about how important culture is to us. Yeah, where do we see that in kind of financial terms? Um, but I suppose going forward, yeah, I'm really thinking about like the flexibility of what it is that we offer as a country. And I think there are companies like Tetata actually is, is a fantastic example. Who are doing it, yeah. I They're agree. doing really cool, exciting, forward-thinking work. And of course, it's not to say every single company has to behave in that way. But if we can't have these big, you know, million, bu- you know, million pound budget shows, what can we do? And what can we mm. still do that has musical and artistic and creative integrity? Because it absolutely is possible. We just need to be, I think, a bit more adaptable. Breakdown of the week. Being a singer is definitely harder than it looks. And today we're going to cover kind of what we see as five main points surrounding this idea. First of all, we're going to talk about how so often we're encouraged to make it look effortless. Like it's it's no bother to us at all that we're singing these ridiculous high notes, these ridiculous runs. It's, it's just no problem. Yeah, anytime. Let me, let me please do it. But... In order to make it look effortless, you have to practice. And so how do we find ways of doing efficient practice? What about those days when you're feeling tired? What about those days when you're feeling emotional? What are the ways of practicing that can still help you then? Moving on, we want to talk about the fact that you can't see the thing. 
the voices inside our body. So unlike your, your hands or your legs, it's, it's this kind of unknown entity. We, we barely even know how big the thing is, and that makes it quite hard to deal with. Moving on, we're going to talk about how being a singer takes over your entire life. There is no break. And then finally, we'll cover how for some singers, often their career has quite a short shelf life. So let's get into it. So yes, first of all, uh, we are encouraged to make it look as effortless as possible. You know, people people are paying the big bucks at the Opera House to see Alexander Simpson, countertenor, perform the hardest role in the world. And they want to see... <laughs> they want an escape don't they 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 want to be blown away by wow this this natural talent this genius he just <laughs> fell out of bed this morning and oh well, when he was five years old and he could just like screen these high notes and this coloratura run perfectly no problem at all he's hardly put in any effort to do this look at him he could do it standing on his head 10 times in a row if he wants i mean it's so ludicrous isn't it the it's totally ridiculous yeah and the amount of work that has to go in beforehand in order to get to that stage where it's so comfortable that you can you know you can sing something without your shoulder creeping up to your ear and then like ingesting your own brain or something it's just <laughs> there's a lot of work that needs to be done 100%. to get to that stage isn't there yeah and i think you know there's something really weird about being constantly told not to show the effort you're putting in. And I, I don't really like that. And I think, you know, we were saying it's like, uh, the, you know, like a swan really, isn't it? You're, you're looking completely serene on the surface, but underneath your legs are paddling for dear life. But yes, in order, as we've said, in order to make it look effortless, we have to put in the hours of work, don't we? Yes. And how, how do you sort of match that up? And how do you make sure that... Um, how do you make sure that your your focus, as in your eyes, don't betray all the, the thoughts going on in your head? Or, you know, how do you make your body feel so utterly relaxed that yeah. you can do whatever you need to act or, or just be on stage? Yeah, I think something about, like, being a singer is so unique in that, you know, no... I know we often make these sports analogies, but no sports person is asked not to show the effort or strain that's going into something. You don't see a sprinter just like looking as serene as possible as they're crossing the finish line. You don't see a tennis player like not showing the physical effort. I mean, maybe Federer, but mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a different kind of fish. But even in music, you see pianists absolutely thrashing the keys when it when it feels like the appropriate time. You see violinists absolutely, you know, g- getting into their zone when the music feels right, when it feels emotional. However, for singers, yeah, I, I really can't get over it. I also have to say, in particular, for women, I feel the ask to make it look effortless is so much greater. Agreed, yes. Because, you know, when you see your tenor singing their top C and they look like they're about to bust a nut or that's, whatever, nobody's like, somehow. oh, you know, can you try and make it look a bit less effortless? It's like, oh my God, wow, the top C. Um, I was rehearsing this piece actually for this recital and I asked you to come and watch me, Alex. Bang, I came. It was and, great. Um, you came came to watch the rehearsal because i asked you to watch this four bar phrase and i said to you how do i make it look like it's not hard work it's four bars of constant coloratura and when you think you're at the end of the phrase there's a little bit more to Mm go um and it's something i'm thinking about a lot at the moment like how to make it look effortless and I guess there are pros and cons because it really is something when you see a, a singer of of the absolute highest quality uh you know 
singing inc- incredible music and it just looks like nothing's even touching the sides. I mean, that is that is something else. However, there's, there's also something I find a bit... It's a bit sanitary for me. Like, I like to see when people are working and uh, but maybe that's because I'm in the industry yeah I don't know but maybe I'm only saying that because I still haven't mastered the art of looking serene in like any way you look so sane all Shut the time up. I don't know how you do it I look fully mental all but the time but if you're right about the like difference for men and women yeah, I think yeah. like seeing like a really sweaty tenor on stage is sort of okay somehow yeah whereas if you saw a sweaty soprano you'd be like that's disgusting yeah 100% is- and like uh, you know you think of uh, like a Wagnerian tenor you know who's, who's done the full role and they're absolutely exhausted by the end and everyone's just like what a strength you know but nobody's looking at your queen of the night or your dorabella or whatever and being like oh the the strength blah 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 but it 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 requires this not the same strength per se but uh control you know understanding of the voice technique constant work and yet all of that is is like i'm gonna come back to the word sanitary because for me there is something about it that's like it needs to be all kept within this quite beautiful serene mm, package mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. the swan yeah the will, swan yes. very nice but yes I think in comparison to other musicians other you know artistic creative crafts other sporting crafts singers really do have this this issue of having to make it look effortless and I think then moving on to the second point that we wanted to refer to how do we make it look effortless mm. in order to make it look effortless we have to practice but uh, as we were talking about before we recorded this episode you know for singers, the the voice is a muscle, and it's it's a training process. So, really, it can be dangerous to practice for hours and hours and hours a day. You can actually do yourself more harm than good because you're just pushing the 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 muscles to do extreme things. Because neither that's what of you're us asking. speak from experience. There, obviously, <laughs> I don't know what over practicing looks like. <laughs> Could somebody tell me? <laughs> But yeah, no, exactly. You're totally right. And, you know, if someone with like a real, sorry, like a desk job. A real job. Says like, oh, you know, what what do you do today? I was like, oh, I had a rehearsal for three hours or something. And I did an hour of personal practice. And they're like, wow, hard day. It's like. That is a hard day. <laughs> Whoever you are, you bastard. That is a yeah. hard day. And there's only, you know, I, I physically cannot sing nonstop yeah. for eight and a half hours or however long a desk job is. I don't know. I never will know. Um, <laughs> what's the point? And, Shameless. But there are, there are so many other things that I have to do and other ways that I have to practice that we need to... Well, I've had to very much work on because, yeah. you know the the pressure to get it to a certain level of effortlessness yes yes in and a short amount of time i mean we were talking about this before but the idea of knowing all the notes knowing the emotion that you want to convey thinking about the accompaniment all of those things and then you're asked to put it in this incredibly serene package that takes time that takes hours and hours of effort but as you say you have to balance it with not overtiring oneself with understanding what what else you know you might have going on are you, are you rehearsing for another project are you in stage rehearsals whatever and it's like that that is another not problem that comes with making it look effortless but it's a challenge to, to manage all of that and and kind of in line with what you're saying that you know four hours of singing in any day that's a lot mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and you probably do feel tired and it's about knowing who you are and we'll come on to this a bit later in terms of it taking over your entire life (laughs) but it's about knowing who you are can you sing for another couple of hours or do you have another big day tomorrow do you need to take it easy we've referred to mental practice now often on this podcast as a fantastic way of kind of going through the motions really cementing the music in your head allowing you the opportunity to think about 
what you want to express and convey however you're not having to tie the muscles out mm-hmm. at the same time yeah it's brilliant i love that but that is uh, i used to feel a pressure to be like no 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 like being a singer is harder than it looks you know i i i do i do put in these hours and blah blah, blah but yeah. now it's like no i don't feel that pressure as in sorry that's wrong as in I don't feel the need to present. To prove. Yeah, exactly, to mm-hmm, prove. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Helen, exactly. Yeah. But also in so many cases, the people that are like, oh, it sounds like a hard day, have no idea what they're talking about. Mm, exactly. So, you know, what is the point to even try and explain the 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 effort? And, and, and to, to hone this craft is years of cumulative effort. You know, it's not just a case of like, oh, I just turn up and well, it just like shines out of my mouth or whatever. It's like, I've really had to take a long time to work out how I can do this and and do it in the best way for myself as possible. Ah, I'm changing. They are beautiful. They are terrible. They never lie. We can bind them. Come Bargain with Uncanny Things is an interactive, immersive opera. Join a community resolving their problems through an eldritch ritual, deciding who to help and how as you master rites, make offerings, craft potent invocations, and above all, negotiate with the strange and powerful Uncanny Thing. Take control of an opera like no other this November. For more details, search Come Bargain with Uncanny Things. This is a call for Helen Daniels to costuming. Once again, this is a call for Helen Daniels to costuming. What's next? Well, we can't actually see what's going on, can we, Helen? That's amusing, isn't it? And I hate it so much. I actually think for me this is my biggest problem. I I really understand the logic of like the voice box Mm -hmm. and where it sits and how big it is. And the waves and the folds and the mucus and the blur. Um, however, in not being able to see it, and because the voice is such a big part of our lives, irrespective of singing, it can be really hard to know how to manage it at times. Um, I think only because I had two pretty significant injuries do I have any understanding of how to work with it and again we've talked about in the past I really don't think it's talked about enough in the music college system in the school system in whatever you know even young artist programs you know vocal health vocal safety is not like a flagship topic and it absolutely should be because I think the fact that we can't see it makes it so much easier for one to do lasting damage, for one to do any kind of long-term damage because you're just like, where's my voice? You know, I'll wake up in it. You know, I'm probably just a bit tired. Whereas, I I don't know, if you you sprain your ankle, you know Mm. straight away. You know, if you break your arm or whatever, I I don't know. (laughs) So many sporting analogies here. Uh, You know, or if you bruise something, it shows up. There's there's a more visual element to it. If, you know, if, if there's... Even if you're a pianist mm. and you feel that kind of repetitive strain injury and then you go to a physio or something and they give you a set of exercises, it feels, to me, more tangible because at the very least I can see my hand. Whereas the fact that it's all kind of trapped inside my throat, I, I find it far harder to to work with. I don't know how you feel about it. No, agreed. And also sometimes, you know, if you're if I'm quite stressed about something and 
well, <laughs> the majority That's of That's most days, by yeah, the way, exactly. guys, just in case you're under. <laughs> 7 a.m. morning stress. Um, <laughs> then, I, you know, I might wake up and be like, oh, my throat feels a bit funny or something. And like a lot of that is probably mental. But also maybe not. Yeah. Uh, and but I can't. It's not. I I can't see it yeah. to examine it in detail and be like, okay, it's fine. Yes. Yes. Um, there's nothing wrong there. And unless I have like uh, a scope on call whenever I want. God, a daily yeah, scope. Imagine. That. Yeah. Wow, yeah. The dream. That'd be nice. Yeah. yeah. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. It's it's sort. Of, there's a lot of trust involved. Absolutely. I think there's also. In our industry, um, a, a pressure n- not to necessarily uh, cancel or, or let people down. Mm. Um, so say you do wake up and you're not feeling great. You know, my immediate instinct, I can literally, I heard the words already, it was pushed through. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, no, just, just you need to be there. You need to be at the rehearsal because you'll miss out on crucial information. You don't want to let your colleagues down. And there's a there's a there's an instinct to, to just get on with it. Um Whereas, you know, I've I've worked with a few singers over the last year and I find it really interesting that, like, for them, as soon as there is maybe, like, even an air of a problem, it's like, I can't. I won't be at the rehearsal today. Really? Um, I, uh, I need to go and, like, do whatever I do to get back on form. And, like, I'm sorry, I won't be singing today because I feel these things. And I just, um, as again, as somebody that's made some mistakes in the past, uh, I did have a lot of respect for how they put their voices first and at the end of the day they're like this is the the golden thing this is the thing that is going to carry me through my career therefore if something isn't feeling right to me I will go and take care of it and and just write it out for a few days and and then see how we are and I don't know if that's a cultural thing Mm. I don't know if that's a nature of the work type thing and and or being in an education setting so maybe they feel differently about it you know there's there's all kinds of motivations for that behavior but you know these people are relying on sensation to to assess how well they're vocally feeling and yeah if they if they don't feel up to it then they they don't sing and I wonder you know, is there something we could learn about that in terms of our vocal health and, yeah. and safety? I do. I remember working with someone. Actually, no, there were two people. One who like constantly was like, I'm not singing today, blah, blah, blah. And I'm mm. like, I find that annoying. But the other guy, when he went off, I was like, I respect you for that. Yeah. Because when, when he was off, he was off. When he was on, he was so on. Right. It was amazing. Yes. It wasn't yes. like, oh, I just don't care. No. But there, I don't, was, there was I, a yeah. very specific reason. Yeah. yeah which yeah. was, and to, for him to be able to be like, no, no. I'm taking care of my voice today, so I'm silent today. Yeah, yeah. I was like, wow, I really respect you. Yeah. Good, good for you. No, I was just going to say, like, I, I don't mean, you know, somebody that just never sings in the rehearsals, you know, like, as you say, like, just understanding that maybe something doesn't feel right, taking the time and moving on. But, you know, it's 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 a really hard craft to, to be able to know that and make those calls without any kind of visible signs yeah, of, of, course, of things going of course, on. Yeah, yeah. This is a call for Alex Simpson to wigs and makeup. Once again, this is a call for Alex Simpson to wigs and makeup. All right, we're going to move on from uh, you can't see it to uh, probably our most favourite little point in this episode. Um, The fact that singing essentially (laughs) takes over your entire life. And I think we would argue it takes over your life more than lots of other art forms and crafts. And... Debate me on it. I'm mm. ready for it. I really am. Because there are lots of things that affect the voice. Again, you know, kind of tying into the fact that you can't see it because it's 
inside of our bodies and because the voice is so near the the voice box is so near to like the esophagus and what we eat Mm -hmm. and and acid and all of those things you know our voice is so heavily affected by our diet it's so heavily affected by how we sleep Mm. it's so heavily affected by how we are talking on a day-to-day basis so it means all of these things are things that have to be taken into account. It's not just a case of like, I can turn, you know, wake up, have a coffee and I'm at the keys practicing my piano. It's like, I'm probably going to need maybe two hours to kind of, you know, feel physically awake. I might need to do some exercise before that. What kind of food am I going to eat? It can't really be anything too, yeah, fatty, dairy, cloggy. And it's funny actually, when I did this recital the other week, my mother asked me like, what? I could eat for dinner the day before which was very sweet uh, because it does matter mm-hmm. and it was like no we can't really have like a big takeout because I can't really deal with like the acid and like the you know that sluggish feeling when you've eaten a lot of like kind of fatty food it's like for a performance you're, you're looking for dry bread delicious <laughs> just one cracker just the one but it's like you're looking I don't know high protein grains uh, you know some some good fruit yummy uh, you're done mm-hmm. but uh, these are things that one has to take into account and um it, yeah, it, it can be quite all-encompassing, I think. I don't know how you feel about it, Al. Yeah, you can... I Well, I think we both know people who, like, take it way too mm. far to an extreme. Oh. And, like, their life is totally governed by these sort of rules yeah. that they, they have imposed for better or for worse, really. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I we did a big old myth-busting episode back in season yeah. two, which was great. So listen to that, please. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, finding out what works and what doesn't work for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, I don't know, it's it's... The socialising thing for me is a big, big thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we were, oh yeah, we were at a friend's leaving drinks. And it was upstairs in a place in West Hampstead. It was so nice. And I didn't realise that the upstairs place was going to be so much louder than the downstairs uh-huh. area. And for, for like an hour and a half slash two hours, you know, just talking like this yes. all the time to be heard. And it was really, really exhausting. Of course. Um, and... While mid mid talking someone who has a bit bored, look by, uh, I was like, okay, um, should I stop now? Should I just go home? What have I got coming up? Okay, I have nothing really coming up tomorrow or the day after. It doesn't really matter. So I'm going to carry on. Yeah. And then I engaged in the, with this boring lady. Um, she asked me if I wanted to join a cult. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you're listening. Yeah, I was going to say sorry for listening. Um... No, she was great. Um, but yes, you know, having to think yeah. at that moment, should I be doing this? Can I afford to do this? fine yes or no yeah um yeah it's a bit yeah it can be annoying but then it's like well i've chosen this craft and i love it to bits yeah i think that's really true and i've been thinking about that recently in relation to drinking actually because as we said in the myth busting episode alcohol can have adverse effects on your voice for some people it really doesn't bother them it really does for me and it's the trade-off uh you know you you might have had one drink you're thinking about getting a second or a third and you're like what like say what have i got coming up what was i planning on doing what do i need to do not need to do whatever and you're like well is it worth it you know is it worth me being hung over and feeling completely dried out and then like having a completely like wasted day mm-hmm. um and and when i was really young i i mean i would have been like 15 16 i remember i, I don't even know what the argument was about but i was with my parents and they were telling me I couldn't do something because I was meant to be like with orchestra or choir or something. 
And I remember saying like, it seems so unfair that like I never get to have any fun because I have to do all of this music stuff. And I I think that's true. Often, oftentimes we have to really be careful and and not turn away from the fun, but we just have to watch it because it can be really detrimental, especially like, you know, I'll be the first to admit that like my speaking voice isn't great. And like, if you really don't know how to speak in a large, loud public setting. It's really hard. Yeah, you you are really shooting yourself in the foot if you're going to keep mm-hmm. doing it and then try and practice all the time. Mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. you know, um, complete opposite end of the spectrum. Um, often we've talked about like singers being athletes and it's not like a phrase that's used that often still and I don't know why. Because we are like athletes. It's exactly the same. The training regime, the need to control the diet, the need to think about sleep, the need to think about where you're going, when you're doing it, when you're practicing, when you're in the team, whatever. It's exactly the same process. And I think that's something I find so difficult because it stands in such opposition to the first point we made in this episode. Mm -hmm. Let's make it look effortless. Because every part of what we do, on stage, off stage, backstage, culminates in this moment. And in this moment, it's like, why do you look so stressed or you know why why you look a bit concerned it's like of course i'm concerned you know this is like a four bar run and i have no breath i want to get to the end that's why i'm concerned (laughs) but um yeah i think sometimes people don't realize how many extraneous life decisions affect and impact the voice and the singing And moving on to our last point, this idea of a shelf life and that maybe being a singer, you know, you have to retire much earlier or right. maybe take a, take a step back from, from the bigger roles. Uh, yeah, earlier <laughs> on. <laughs> yeah, 25 is the cutoff really, for most countertenors anyway, so, you know. Um, but no, that's, it's a very, I think, well, uh, over history, there have always been singers who have maybe sung roles that they shouldn't have done past their prime yes and it's like gosh what a shame uh because it really wasn't very good uh and to be able to know when when you're reaching that stage and to take a step back yeah that must be really hard Uh, i can't even imagine i always think of the great janet baker yeah she hit the heights she was adored by everybody and she turned around and she said that's enough for me like uh, to quit when you're at your highest amazing yeah, it is amazing. And to to think I've done everything I wanted to do. I'm leaving people wanting more, you know, and, and you're not going to hear me sing something I'm incapable of singing. I, I could not admire and respect that any more than I do. Mm-hmm. It's I really it's something I abide by. But I, I think something that's tough is, is the shelf life or at least what feels like an imposed shelf life. I feel like you talk to so many sopranos who are hitting 30 and they're freaking out they're old yeah now, because apparently. they're like oh my goodness i you know i'm not going to get any roles like it's not blah, 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 it's, it's not going to happen for me and it's like you think of like some of the, the greats like joan sutherland she was singing well into her 40s 50 we got anna Trebka. i mean mm-hmm. again as you say mm-hmm. these are the, the big singers in this industry however i'm not uh convinced that 30 has to be the the cutoff point and and i feel sad for the industry because of the pressure singers place upon themselves to be hitting those points at, at so such young. a young age yeah. and i think as we've talked about before the industry 30 40 years ago is completely different to how it is now you know uh susan bullock she was 
17 or 18 and like she was sent nah maybe she must have been a touch older but she was at Guildhall and essentially she was scouted and before you know it she's on the stage at ENO like 19 20 singing Pamina or something that just doesn't happen yeah. anymore and for, for most singers and that's okay <laughs> and the nature of the career is really different and so it's going to take more time and so you know is there a way of us kind of breaking down that shelf life thing? I, I don't know. But I do think it is another added pressure on top of everything else. You know, this constant... You're either... You need to look like a child mm-hmm. because half the flipping... It was particularly for women. The yes, world's after yes, children. Yes, yes. Or you've moved into the... Old lady. Old maid. Witch. Old hag. Bad of the turf. Whatever. Yeah. yeah it's that's, going to be my prime. Yeah. Let's, get, let's get ready. It's going to be. It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's ready. But yeah, it's uh, it's not easy. And I think you find the same for counter tenors as well. There's there's a, a kind of imposed, not intentional, but there is. An well, intention. definitely. And well, I think counter tenors now more is understood about the counter tenor voice. So before we had, you know, maybe late thirties counter tenor singing, and you're like, please stop. You sound like mm. a cat, mm-hmm. um, but not a cute cat. <laughs> uh, whereas now, at least, it's like okay, we're singing safely from a young age, so we know how to yeah. prolong our voice. But obviously. You know, it, it's an even shorter shelf life. Yeah, span. for sure. Yeah, I think it's a really good point actually about the fact that like the science is better, the understanding of the voice yeah. is better, and therefore you know, same in sports, like people are able to perform for longer because yeah, right. there's a greater understanding of what's going on. But um, yeah, I, I just think you know, it's, it's it's not dissimilar to the whole effort thing. It's like often men. Hey, are able to you know older men are able to take roles and everybody just doesn't seem to to bat an eyelid they're like oh perfect you know it's gonna be wonderful but for for women it's like wow you know you don't you don't look so young you don't look and it's um that is another hard thing to uh to contend with we did an episode on image in the industry and we did try to debunk some of this mm-hmm. and we talked about some opera companies and opera singers that are doing really good work to be like doesn't need to be this way doesn't need to look this way and i really hope that that, that kind of forward progress continues but obviously for singers at every level in the industry it doesn't mean that you just completely forget those pressures yeah of course because they are there aren't they absolutely and i think yeah something that we also want to say on this short shelf life thing idea is that you know you do have to we all know singers again who have perhaps taken on far too much work far too much very hard work Mm. and that's been an amazing say three years like a wild career and then what's happened there's been damage or something yeah. and you know they've just like oversung over pushed themselves and now now what's going on like yeah. where are they Quite. um and that must be really hard as well to because to get swept up in the work amazing and you want to do it all but also you need to be really careful because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if you injure yourself then yeah. you're gonna have to take a step back and then work your way back in mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so yeah it's well as helen would say it's a marathon not a sprint <laughs> thank you i don't need to say it now. um no you don't thank god i said it first all cast all cast this is your five minute call Repeat, all cast, all cast, this is your five-minute call. 
Well, thanks so much for listening, guys. As always, we'd love to hear from you. So please get in touch with your thoughts, comments, and ideas on what you've heard. How can people get in touch with us, Alex? I think maybe an email is nice. Uh, our email address is wheresmyfreakingdressingroom at gmail.com. Of course, we also have our beautiful website. The address is www.wheresmyfreakingdressingroom.com. We're also on social media. You can catch us on Instagram at dressingroompod. Facebook forward slash dressing room pod or Twitter at dressing room PO1. Don't forget to like and subscribe and give us a beautiful five star review. Join us next week when we consider the differences between being an instrumentalist and a singer with our special guest, Kevil Shah. Bye. Bye. Bye.